So Money Episode 7, Ask Farnoosh. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome back to So Money, everyone. I'm Farnoosh. This is Ask Farnoosh. It's your chance to be heard. I've been asking you all week for uh, your questions, your comments, your thoughts, sending them over to somoneypodcast.com and uh, hoping to get to as many of your queries as possible today. And joining me is my special guest and my special little younger brother, although he's not that little or young anymore, Todd Tarabi. Hey, Todd. Hey, Farnoosh. So uh, I don't know if this is really boring for you or you're having a good time. You can be honest with me, right? I mean, personal finance is my jam, but for you, I mean, is this putting you to sleep? No, Farnoosh. I'm having a fantastic time. (laughs) You're such a liar. (laughs) (laughs) So this is weekend session. We have a lot of questions to get through. You're going to help me steer the questions. So what what do we got? Who's, Who's up first? Rohit is first. Uh, he asks, best way to make money work hard for us. Savings in a bank account gives us very little interest. Investments are risky and time-consuming. What's the best way? Yeah. Well, it's sort of a two-prong approach, right? You have the money that you need for a rainy day, like in the next, you know, any time between now and the next year, if something, God forbid, happens and you need to dive into a, a, a savings account to pay for, you know, the, keeping the lights on. Uh, that money should be saved in a savings account. And it's not going to give you, you know, any interest probably, but that's not really what you should be concerned about. You should be concerned about just building that nest egg for the rainy day. And um, once you have about six to nine months of your living expenses short up, I would say you can let that account sit. And then with regards to the other prong, which should be your long-term investing strategy, And the key here is long-term. So yes, the stock market's risky. The stock market is uncertain. The stock market is volatile. But if you're invested for the long run, 25 years, 30 years, uh, you don't have to be so consumed and concerned about the fluctuations. Certainly, you need to be visiting your portfolio regularly, quarterly, annually to make sure that you're not over allocated in a particular area that doesn't make sense for you and your risk tolerance and your age. But generally speaking, if you have a diversified portfolio across multiple asset classes, you will end up ahead, generally speaking. You know, don't be afraid of the fluctuations of the market, because if you're somebody who's in this game for the long haul, it will hopefully pan out. Cool. So moving on to the next question, Beth asks, How do you go about choosing a financial advisor, and when is the right time to take that step? So I kind of answered a little bit of this uh, in the other episode. I would say whenever you feel like you want some extra help with your financial strategy, whether it is like you don't know how to make your uh, financial life more tax efficient, you don't know how to start saving for your kids' um, 
college, you want someone to help you with your estate planning. You want someone to help you with your budget. You want someone to help you uh, with retirement and, and all of the above. Then, you know, you're ready for a financial planner. And don't think that just because you don't have millions in the bank or you're not making six figures that you don't qualify to be working with a financial planner. That's total BS. There's a lot of qualified, great planners out there that will work with you on a fee basis that uh, you should check out. Start with getting recommendations from friends and family, coworkers. Uh, go online to sites like napfa.org and uh, start your search and start interviewing people. Don't think that the first person you meet is going to be the one. You got to connect with this person on a professional and personal level. They want to seem invested in you, caring about you, asking you about your goals. That's good. Yeah, I think having a personal relationship is very important yeah. because uh, making these financial decisions are very uh, personal and, right. yeah, that's and emotional. Good. You know, I, I, right. I, I interviewed a bunch of different planners before I picked my planner that I'm with now, and I, I absolutely love her, Stacey Francis, Francis Financial. Uh, but I met with others who, like, the first meeting was all about how awesome they were at picking stocks. <laughs> And they're like, we've never had a down market. And I'm like, yeah, but you haven't asked me a single question about me. You know, it's all been about them and what they do and how awesome they are. And look, that's right. that's information that's helpful in making my decision. But I didn't, if I don't feel like you are invested in me, then I'm going to move on and try to find someone else. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, the next question is from Sherry. Uh, she asks, okay, she's starting a new job. Uh, I have limited funds, not living paycheck to paycheck, but close to it. I want to be more financially smart, build up some savings, and plan for the future retirement needs that I have, but I have no idea how or where to start. Is there a good way to get started with building some financial security with even the smallest amount of money, say $50 to $100 a month? Mm. What can Sherry do? Sherry can find more money. She can make more money. You know, I can sit here, Todd, and talk all about like, well, you should ask for a discount on your gym membership and you should get rid of your lattes and you should, uh, you know, move to a cheaper apartment. Um, mm-hmm. and, and look, if you're determined and, you, and that's what it's going to take, and you can do that and maybe find another $200 in your budget. But I would say that for me, the best way to get ahead, especially when I felt like I had no money. And the reality was I didn't have any money. You know, I was living in New York making $18 an hour before taxes. Um, how the hell did I do that? I got more work. You know, I built my financial life working really, really hard and long hours and not just at one job, but multiple jobs. And I think that was for me, you know, 15, 12 years ago. Today, it's so much easier to find extra income. You know, so you have your job, you have your nine to five perhaps, but guess what? There are all these other ways you can make money on the side. Through Airbnb, you can rent out a room in your apartment, or in your home. Through TaskRabbit, you can pick up a few jobs in your neighborhood, fold them into your own errands, and it doesn't even feel like you're really taking a lot of time out of your day, whether it's, you know, picking up dry cleaning for someone or um, helping them organize their office or other people tutor online through tutor.com. Other people might babysit or, or care for elderly folks and you can find those gigs at care.com. So there's, my point is, is that, you know, we work 40 hours a week, but there's also another 40 hours in the week potentially that you could be making more money in other ways. And so find out what your 
skill sets are that aren't being maximized and utilized and utilize them, maximize them. Go online and find the resources that will pay you. Elance.com is another great resource for people who have technical skills. You know, I pay right now a transcriber through odesk.com and I pay her, you know, $15 every half hour of transcription, you know, and that's for her a, a nice side gig. And for me, it's uh, a lot cheaper than going through like a professional transcription service. So the, the opportunities are out there. You should look at your budget and try to save as much as you can without, you know, feeling like a pauper, but also find better yet ways to make more money. Yeah, I think I think ultimately you don't want to do several different things at the same time. You know, you want to focus on on one and be good at it. Like for her for Sherry, you know, it's she wants I think it's important for her to be good at her job, but I think the other ways to make money is just to do things that you enjoy. Like for me, uh, I'll be teaching a class every weekend, and I make a little bit of money every month, which will help pay for my rent. You know, mm-hmm. stuff like that. And I and I can I really do enjoy that. I'm not just doing the work for money. I'm I'm doing it because I enjoy it. So I think I think if that's the priority, and it also makes money, then great. That's a that's a good option. Okay, what else we got? Okay, so MERS asks, uh, we received a letter from Citibank telling us that we've applied for a mortgage loan, but we never did. And they're asking for our info and other important information. I can tell that the letter is a little bit sketchy. My question is, do we have to worry that these people know our names and addresses? What should we do with this letter? Uh, Throw it away. Well, before you throw it away, I would call (laughs) Citibank. You know, if that is where you... Wait, so did he even... Does he even have a mortgage? Well, all they said, all he said was that uh, they never applied for a mortgage loan. Okay, so right. this is like totally, obviously, uh, spam and and potentially um, uh, phishing mail to get you to mm-hmm. call them, and then they like get your social security if you're if you're naive enough. So smart, you know, ignore the letter. But I would also, um, you I'd know, report it. Yes, report exactly, it. report it. I mean. You may think that, you know, you reporting it won't get anywhere, but it's really important to report it to the Better Business Bureau, report it to Citibank, and just let them know, FYI, I got this letter, and there's probably, they probably know about it, but it's important for them to see that, hey, it's actually, we thought we nipped this in the bud, and actually, you've just gotten a letter, oh my gosh, we have to get back into this and try to stop this from happening, because unfortunately, people do fall for scams like this, it results in identity theft, and then, you know... I don't have to tell you how difficult it is to reclaim your identity after that and how much money it might cost. So um, good for you for ignoring it. But if you want to be a good Samaritan and a good citizen, (laughs) help out a fellow potential neighbor who may fall for this, uh, tell the bank and and tell your local Better Business Bureau. And I, okay. I, get, I actually got spammed today. Someone emailing me telling me like, oh, you haven't used your Starbucks gift card. We noticed you have an unused balance. And if you ever get anything via email, it's really easy to tell if it's scam, if it, that it's spam. And don't click on any links because there could be a virus. Just look at the, uh, just look at the from. sender's address, right? And if it doesn't look like it was sent from the headquarters, like if the domain is weird, there's your answer, you know. And if you obviously didn't have a Starbucks card or you don't know anything about the business and you don't have an account, just uh, delete it immediately. Um, don't even forward it because you don't want to you know, let it exist anymore because somebody might click on something and then, you know, there's consequences. Moving on to the next question, Bruce, uh, he asked, let's say your husband stopped on the way home and bought you a Powerball lottery ticket for your birthday. 
and the next thing you know is that you've won. <laughs> what would you do in terms of protecting a windfall like this, and how would you go about investing it? You know, I actually ask this question of all my guests on So Money. Not so much what they would do to protect the money, but I do ask all my guests, hey, if you won $100 million, what would you do? The answers are pretty uh, amazing. So what would I do? I, well, I if I won $100 million, and Powerball is probably even more than that, I'd probably give away half, seriously, because what do I need $100 million for? I don't need 50, let alone, you know, 100 million. So I would give half of it away, and there I have inherently a, a nice tax break. <laughs> but more importantly, I'm helping people. And then um, I would make sure that I set up the appropriate trusts for people that I in my family that I want to receive this money in the future, like my son, um, maybe you, Todd. I'm not sure yet, though. Um, <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, to be determined. Okay. <laughs> no, just kidding. And I would, you know, try to, I would definitely have a meeting with my financial planner and my tax attorney, and then I would enjoy it. You know, I would, I wouldn't stop working. A lot of people might, but I actually like what I do, and I think maybe I wouldn't work as much, but I would definitely um, find ways to stay creative and stay active. And I would travel and I would, you know, maybe get a bigger house. But that's about it. And then whatever's left, I guess I would just, you know, leave as my um, inheritance for the next generation. And I don't know. What would you do with $100 million? Hmm. Well, I definitely, I think, you know, I've always had an interest in starting my own charity organization. Like, rather, I mean, I could, I could donate it, of course, to other organizations. But I also think, like, having an organization could be, could be cool. Uh, and I would definitely invest it, m m probably not in the stock market, but in real estate, um, you know, any kind of startup ideas that are coming up. Mm -hmm. Uh, and yeah, definitely. I mean, I don't, I don't think as far as like trust and stuff like that, cause I'm not, I'm not married or have kids or anything like that, but, um, I'm sure I could organize all of that as well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, my priorities are a little different, but I definitely think that, um, before, enjoying it for myself, I would definitely, you know, uh, spread it around in a lot of areas. Certainly. And you know what else? I wouldn't tell anybody that I won. Yeah, you're going to have a lot, a lot of new cousins. Suddenly all and, these new cousins yeah. and like yeah. <laughs> new best friends. And I mean, right. I don't think in some, in certain states, you know, you don't have control over that. They, they announce it and it's, uh, it would be like the worst thing. I'd also buy stock in the New England Patriots. And uh, that's that's my ultimate dream. Yeah. So we Todd is a big Patriots fan. We were both born in Massachusetts. Um, what's your take on this year's Super Bowl? And we right now um, this podcast is going to air before the Super Bowl, before even mm -hmm. the championship game, right? Right. Right. So New England's playing Indianapolis on Sunday on my birthday. So I'm really hoping for a win. That would be the greatest gift. I think it'll be a tough game, but I think Patriots will play the Seattle Seahawks in the Super Bowl. Hmm which would be a very tough matchup for both teams. But I think I'm going to go with the Patriots to win the whole thing. But I'm biased. What is it about Tom Brady? Like everybody, like he's God, right? He's pretty much God. Yeah, he's a total underdog. I mean, now he's a big celebrity. But, you know, just getting into the league, he was a nobody and he was overweight. And, you know, he was? He, what? Oh, yeah. And in the, in the, in before his rookie year, when he was, you know, trying out for teams, he was not in shape at all. Hmm. 
And then he married and, Giselle, and yeah, I mean, after all his success, you know, everyone started realizing that he's a handsome guy, and he <laughs> he has he potential. has a great yeah he has potential, and he started marrying beautiful women. So I mean, <laughs> everything worked out for him. But he's always had this chip on his shoulder, which is mm. you know I think it's uh, people can relate to that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, I'll be rooting for the Patriots, uh, not because I like football, but because uh, I like New England, because uh, that's where I come from. That's where we hail from. Yep. All right, Todd, we have time for maybe a couple more questions. And so what's what's next? What's what's on, next on the list? Okay, so the next uh, question comes from uh, a guy named Tom. And a couple other people had a similar question. Mm-hmm. He asks, uh, in your opening episode, you spoke about your personal financial advisor and the compensation method. Could you do an episode or a topic on when one would need an advisor and some tips for selecting one who is the right fit? Um, he said he loved the reference to the cheap buffet food at Penn State. Uh, said it made him miss India Pavilion. I'm not sure what he's talking about. <laughs> oh, but, my yeah. God. You know who this is? This is Tom Bonsaint from college. Hi, Tom. <laughs> Tom and I were in, uh, we were in a political science class together back when I – was actually a political science major, and then I changed my plan like two months into college because I realized I didn't want to mm-hmm. be a lawyer or a politician. This is obviously a really popular question because this is now like the third or fourth time we've gotten this. And um, so I would say, Tom, if you feel like you want a second opinion, some extra help, you have a lot of questions about your future, fin- financial future, and you have goals to, that you want to hit, whether it's you know, affording a family, starting a business, becoming more tax efficient, estate planning, then you want to start consulting with a financial planner and don't wait until you think you have to have millions of dollars or, you know, six figure savings. Uh, You can start working with somebody in the beginning of your career, in the middle of your career. A good financial planner will help you go from good to great and should want to work with you from the beginning because uh, there's a lot of pride in working with someone, I think, when they're just starting out and they're really ambitious and they have all these goals. As long as you're committed to making money and doing the right thing with your money, then you should have a good team with a financial planner. And you can start by asking colleagues and friends and family for their recommendations, uh, but also you can, of course, go online. There are a lot of resources online that I've mentioned, such as napfa.org, that will help you find someone in your area, and you should interview these people and not go with just the first one. And I'll put these links on the site as well, so many podcast.com. Yeah, that's a good resource. I actually would be interested in that as well. Oh, yes? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, Todd, you got a lot going on. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I have some savings, and I and I I'm not too. I mean, you know, I used to invest a little bit in college in the stock market, but I definitely want to have a plan mm-hmm. set out for the next decade or so. The next question uh, comes from Andrew, and he asks, "Do you believe in actively managed funds? Also, what happens when she makes more than him?" <laughs> Whoa! So you have you have a whole book to answer this. Yeah. Question. So the second part <laughs> of your question is. What happens when she makes more than him? Read the book. Uh, I wrote it. It's called When She Makes More. Right. And so I think he knows that and he's looking for like a short answer. But uh, so or a free short, book. Yeah, a free book. Well, the short answer is it's complicated. So, uh, but it's winnable. So pick up the book. And then the first part was uh, actively managed funds. You know, uh, I just finished reading Tony Robbins' book, Money Master the Game. And you know, I, I've always I've always known this, but he really cemented this for me, which is that actively managed funds are, generally speaking, uh, a waste of money. 
you know, actively managed funds are expensive. You have to pay a lot of fees for the active management. But a lot of the research points to the fact that index funds and ETFs over the long run perform just as well, um, and so, or if not better. And so why pay the fees? All right, guys, that's a wrap. Thanks to Todd for being my special co-host today. How did that go, Todd? You think that was uh, that was all right? Yeah, it went very well. These people are asking good questions. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Keep them coming, everyone. And you know, a lot of these questions were about money, but uh, talk to me about work. Talk to me about life. Talk to me about guests. I want to hear your thoughts and your questions. I'm, you know, I'm pretty much an open book at this point. So ask me whatever is on your mind, and you know. More or less, I'll answer. And if you know, if it's this is a PG show, so you know we don't want to. <laughs> we we have to be respectful. We've got to right. keep it clean. Um, but the way you do it is you just go to somoneypodcast.com, hop on Ask Farnoosh, send in your question, and boom, you're done. And by the next weekend, hopefully, I'll be answering it. Thanks everyone for tuning in. Hope your day and your weekend is so money. 